Welcome back, Serial Killers, to another deep dive into the files of Saturday Morning Confidential as part of the Dark Fortnite crossover series with some of our other friends here at Certain POV. I have chosen to do a film that until recently I had very little experience with. Now, I know you're probably shocked as much of a comic fan as I talk to be, and I talk a lot of shit about Batman and Superman, uh, but this film, until recently, has been kind of new to me. But I'm excited to have Johnny K on the show today to talk about it. Johnny, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. I got to find out more about you've not seen Batman until until recently. I got to know more about that. Well, okay, it's because okay, for some reason, uh, I come from a very like evangelical family. Everybody at home is probably rolling their eyes because they've heard this story a thousand times at this point. So it wasn't until like I got to college that I like watched these films. It was weird. My dad watched these, but I didn't get to watch them. Apparently, I think they were a little too gay and a little too sexy, uh, especially by the time we got to like. Batman Forever, Batman and Robin, which are very different from Batman and Batman Returns. Um, but yeah, it just, it hadn't passed on my radar. So it probably, it was about 10 years ago, probably the first time I was, re it was after all three of the Nolan films had come out wow. and I'd seen both Batman and Robin and Batman Forever and we're like, ooh wee. And then I went, I've never seen either of the Burton Batmans. And so I went back and just when we were still buying DVDs and I went and just was like, ah, Best Buy has the, uh, the, the nineties that like set that they released with all the nineties and then the Nolan's ones. And I went, I'll just buy these. I'll watch all of them, uh, before streaming was really, uh, streaming any of the superhero films. So that's why I don't know why it took me so long to watch them, but it was just one of those that I guess when you grow up as a sheltered kid, you have such a backlog of things. And then even as like a gay person, I had to like add all the like fun gay films that I was never allowed to watch in with all of the like typical, like guy films and like sci-fi films and i mean i literally hadn't seen alien until last year and i'm just getting to horror now so like yeah i'm i'm still at 37 catching up on a lot of things but johnny tell us who you are and uh why you're on the show today i'm fascinated i love i love everything you just said about not getting into this stuff until late like i got i have so many questions um so yeah my name is johnny k uh, right now, I am most uh, prom prominently known, I guess, as being a, an award-winning filmmaker. Uh, sounds like I'm bragging when I say that. But yeah, I finally, a uh, quick backstory on me. I uh, finally got done making excuses when I was 39 years old and decided to try to make my first short film. Uh, just knowing that, you know, if it sucked, I never had a show with anybody. Yep. But I was just tired of making excuses. So one day I, I got up and I decided to make a movie. I gave myself 60 days to do it. I ran out, I shot it, and the result is a nine-minute short film called The Killer of Grassy Ridge that I was very proud of, like, period, end of story. Uh, next thing you know, I said, well, maybe I'll throw it into a festival or two mm -hmm. here and there, and it got picked up on the festival circuit. It's been there for about two years. We've been in 50 festivals uh, worldwide. I think we've hit every continent now except Antarctica, and I'm still, my joke is I'm still looking for, like, the Antarctica Film Festival. Uh, which is the thing, by the way, you need to check out the thing. If you've not seen John Carpenter's the thing I have, I have, it was uh, about two <laughs> weeks ago. I watched it for the first time. Cause I'd seen the like weird remake of the thing, but I hadn't, that was like in the nineties, but I hadn't seen the original. So yeah. yeah, no, I just, just checked out the thing a couple weeks ago. In, in my uh, mind, the, the Antarctica film festival probably looks a lot like the thing. It's probably I just agree. 10 researchers sitting around having a film festival at, a, at an outpost. But, but yeah, I got into the movie making world and uh, that's, you know, ended up linking up with case 
uh, on the last uh, fan film that I put together. And uh, I think we're going to get to that here in a little while, but absolutely. Uh, well, and if, if anybody listens to other certain POV shows, everybody knows case. I think it's how we all know each other. It's, it's just, the world is all connected instead of Kevin Bacon. It's always how many degrees of separation are you from case Aiken? <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, so what is your connection to Batman 89, Batman, the, the Tim Burton's Batman? What is your connection to this film? So I was like full disclosure, I was nine years old in 1989, uh, which puts me as exactly the target audience for that yes. movie. Mm -hmm. Like I was the demographic they wanted. Um, you know, you know, you could have had a rated R Batman, I guess, but you you had to get those nine-year-old kids in there. And I was the nine-year-old kid. And you know, before that with me, um, really I had some Batman comics uh at the time, but I'm not a die, die hard, mm -hmm. you know, comic book guy. But I you know, I was a kid of the 80s, so I had my superpowers figures and of course had my, uh, had my comic books around. But really, my only reference for Batman was was Adam West, like mm -hmm. everybody else. Right. You know, we had whatever the, the network was that would show Batman 1966, mm -hmm. you know, every night, every weeknight at like 11 o'clock. And I remember begging my mom, like, I've got to stay up until, you know, Batman is over. So, I mean, I was dedicated. I have to watch my Adam West every night. But, you know, it was a campy thing. And I even knew oh, that as yeah. a kid. Oh, you yeah. know, I even that, that registered with me as an eight year old, too. I'm like, this is mm -hmm. it's campy and it's silly, but I'll watch it because it's the only Batman I got. Right. Mm -hmm. And then fast forward to 1989. And oh, my God, like, let's just put aside for a second that it was the single biggest thing that had ever happened mm -hmm. in the history of pop culture. Mm -hmm. Like, by the way, that's what that was. Now it's, you know, we get that every summer now with Avengers movies and everything else. But Four times a year, frankly, you know. <laughs> but, but in those days, being a nine-year-old kid, as I'm sure a lot of your listeners can relate, uh, I mean, that was the center of the universe was June 23rd, 1989. Like that was the biggest, most important thing that had ever happened in our lives. So like my connection goes right back to seeing it in the movie theater I can't remember if it's opening night. I'm sure it was. It was definitely opening weekend. I mean, it, you know, you had to be right there for it. Um, it's the first crowded movie theater. It was the first movie theater I've ever been in that was so crowded. I had to sit right next to a complete stranger. I remember that. Uh -huh. So a lot of the other movies I'd seen, you know, you're always oh, oh, yeah, out, space. Right? Yeah. And Batman, I mean, there wasn't an empty seat in the house. So I'm sitting next to a complete stranger. I can still remember what his cologne smells like because it was such a foreign mm -hmm. smell, you know. Uh, but just watching Batman for the first time on the big screen. And it's like, I could just watch this every day, you know, for the next six months. And I, and I once it came out on VHS, I think I did do that. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, this, well, and it's so interesting because the target demographic, it does feel that they were trying to appeal to the youngest kind of audience member, but also giving every age group of people something to really enjoy. Um, Cause there is this movie is so layered in what there is, I think to enjoy about it. I know everybody's probably annoyed with me at this point. Cause I always have very little bad things to say about this on the show, but I guess it's also kind of when we all bring those favorite things, one, why talk shit about something we don't need to talk shit about Well, there's enough of that on the internet and we'll get to that with 
this kind of when this film was in pre-production um dc fans were doing what dc fans have done forever apparently um but yeah like watching it yesterday and then rewatching it this afternoon uh i'm a theatrical designer by trade and so like just picking apart how awesome and like terrible at the same time gotham looks because that was the whole point of the design and there's just so much to look at but also this looks so different than what i think to this point a batman had looked like especially if we're looking at adam west batman very different no tights to be found um but even then this i remember thinking yesterday i was like i forgot that this movie is so brown like this movie is so brown and i think it's so that the black of the suit would stand out the white of kim basinger's outfits would stand out and then the purple and green would stand out because they all really pop on the brown um but let's jump in as you said and i didn't realize that it was this big of a kind of launch but like it was like the fourth top grossing film ever until you know our our recent films have usurped it but at its time it was the fourth top grossing film it did two and a half million dollars in its opening weekend which again 1989 we're still talking a couple bucks for movie tickets so like the the fact that like it was budgeted at like 48 million ultimately but it made like 411 million dollars is insane especially when you think of kind of how chintzy 80s films are because this is also the same year that we got like heathers and we've had the john hughes films i mean we had things like masters of the universe but those like kind of epic sprawling fantasies weren't doing well like they just didn't um you know we had things like beetlejuice which was not a box office success but it was a cult success but it did get like no it's also kind of how keaton got hired in this plus some other work he'd done in burton and something i really love about this film is how non-tim burton this film looks like it doesn't have that tim burton thumbprint and i think it really calls back to um like this is his love letter to the killing joke and i think you really can see that in this um and something i just i love that this film was like 10 years in the making um truly everyone involved loved batman so much and wanted to take it back to what the original 1930s creators wanted which was a dark detective gritty noir like batman is the original noir villain or uh vigilante so like we really get that now i think the the flourishing of the cape in this i which i had forgotten about until yesterday uh takes away from that a little but i think they really did an awesome job of like giving us that goodfellows feeling giving us a lot of that noir maltese falcon moments but giving us a tim burton film what are what are some things johnny for you that just stand out as an adult um that really just still stick and stand out to you about this film yeah, I mean, the first thing that comes to mind when you're talking about it doesn't really feel like Burton. I think it took another three years. You know, that's when Batman Returns came mm-hmm. out. And I think Burton, you know, obviously the movie did pretty well for itself as you just rattled off. Uh, the box yes. So obviously the sequel was was coming closely behind. And I think really Batman Returns was like, that's when they gave Tim Burton like carte blanche. Uh-huh. Okay, do mm-hmm. anything you want. And then it really did become a Tim Burton movie. Uh, Batman 89, sure, it's got a lot of, 
Burton stuff, but it's not so over the top Burton like Beetlejuice was, or, you know, just name any Tim Burton movie that we know him, know him for now. But I mean, I got to give a lot of credit to Anton first, you know, oh, his, yeah. his production design, you know, I think a lot of people, you know, just kind of summarize that as Tim Burton and it is his vision. He did direct it, but you got to just give some serious props to the production design Anton Burton. That's or, or Anton first, I'm sorry. And then you just <laughs> look at the Batmobile, you know, that design, yeah. look how sleek and sexy that was the overall uh, just, just industrial vibe of what Gotham city looked like. And I'll be honest with you, it's never looked like that again, ever. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of reasons for that. I, I could absolutely nerd out on you right now, but like, you know, all of Batman 89 uh, was shot at Pinewood in the UK. Yeah. And for the most part, a lot of that was exteriors, mm-hmm. you know, so all the daylight stuff, you know, that was all obviously exterior, very little of that was on a soundstage. And as opposed to Batman returns, it was all shot on a soundstage mm-hmm. and it just had a different feeling to it. Gotham mm-hmm. felt different. Gotham felt mm-hmm. much smaller. You know, most of Batman yeah. returns all takes place in like the town mm-hmm. town center, Gotham, Gotham square or whatever they call it. But Batman 89 just had such a bigger feeling mm-hmm. to it. And, you know, a lot of that's the production design. Um, you know, there's where I could just go forever. We could talk music, we could talk everything, but it just had such a different feeling. And, Gotham has never looked as good since then. I didn't like the Batman Returns yeah. Gotham. I barely remember the two uh, mid nineties <laughs> Batman movies. I, I'm not, yeah, I've not, honestly, I'm not. I'm not knocking them, but I'm just telling you, I've yeah. not seen them. I've not seen them since then. You know, so that tells me a lot. But. Well, this is also just from like a film standpoint. We're seeing Burton put together his people, like between because we had Pee Wee's Big Adventure, we have. Um, Beetlejuice and then we have this we're kind of 86, 88, 89 and so it's one of those things that we're developing that Burton feeling because those are the things that like you are like Beetlejuice would set the tone for I think Batman Returns and the Nightmare Before Christmas and with Batman Returns A Nightmare Before Christmas be coming out within like a year and a half of each other those really cemented even though like Tim Burton didn't write Nightmare Before Christmas. He directed it. It's those things that we attribute so much to him um, that I do. But I agree with you. I think it's the thing that was missing in this because they were making this an old school gangster movie versus making a new wave like crime film. And I think the difference there is neon. There is no neon lights in this like we're not focusing on like a red light district we're not focusing on those things which by the time we get to schumacher it's all neon like especially robin's story is just pummeling neon at you the whole time um i think we had one did we have one instance of neon in 89 oh yeah there's a little bit but like just axis the red letters yep and well and that was the point for it to stand out but where you know and it is one of those things that like they were still using set models and things and like full painted uh drops and things which again is so it's very uk it's very theatrical something i love about this movie is it feels like an opera like it is so grand and all of the sets are on such a large scale um that like I don't mind the 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 flowing cape when Batman runs because it fills the screen in the same way that so much of the sets just kind of you get a grand shot every time we're on the ground and they shoot up. Um, 
And you know, it is, I, you know, I take for granted that like we get the bat signal at the end of the movie is like a gift from Batman to the city. And it's like, oh, this is truly an origin film, even though it doesn't feel, it feels like it's the Joker's origin film. It is in a way a Batman origin film. I do have to say, because this was originally supposed to have a, a young Dick Grayson in it, I'm really glad it doesn't. I think on the green, we needed a movie of just Batman in the beginning. Um, and I really, I'm a huge Keaton fan. So like, I really like his Batman. I like his, uh, I don't want to say feminine Bruce Wayne, but like the scene where of Vicky just kind of shows up and he's in his black turtleneck with the rimless uh, round glasses and the tight Calvin Klein jeans and the like dress shoes. I was like, I'm not mad at this Bruce Wayne because this Bruce Wayne, all, it makes sense because Bruce Wayne would have been a man of the time. He was a man of money. So he would have been dressed by a stylist. These are just things that like, I, like I think is the practical like dramaturgy of who Bruce Wayne is, because I don't know if you're like me, uh, rarely do we get someone that's a good Batman and a good Bruce Wayne. And I personally like the softness of Keaton's Bruce Wayne because we don't see him freak out until we are in the apartment scene where yeah. he literally loses it. And I love it. Um, but he really channels all of that rage into his Batman. And I think that deviation is really nice for me. It's, it's, it's one of my favorite Ke Michael Keaton performances. Let's, let's talk for a second about how twisted a person would have to be to dress up like a bat to fight crime. Like this is a, this is a maladjusted person we're talking yep. about. And Bruce Wayne, in my opinion, Bruce Wayne, Michael Keaton, in my opinion, uh, was the best Bruce Wayne. And the reason I say that is because he never showed you all his cards. You know, in any scene that he's in, he's always holding something back. And that starts way back, you know, in the in the early movie, you know, when they're in, early in the movie, when they're having the uh, kind of the, the casino night at Wayne Manor and Vicki Vale walks up and says, hey, can you tell me which one of these guys is Bruce Wayne? You know, a normal person would say, oh, hi, I'm Bruce Wayne. How are you? Mm -hmm. You know, especially to a, a person as beautiful as, as Kim Bassinger. And he says, oh, you know, I'm 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 not sure. Like, I don't yeah. know. And, I, you know, still today, I, to this day, I watch this and I'm like, why is he playing it? So it's just a weird thing to do. And it immediately puts a kind of a weird vibe out there that he's always secretive. He always kind of has something to hide. And he is a twisted individual. And I actually yes. love that scene in the apartment. You know, you want to get nuts? Let's get nuts. Like. You don't, I don't even know if there is, I've not seen the, the Chris Nolan movies as much. Uh, I mean, I like them for what they are, but they're not my Batman, right? But I, I don't remember if they actually had Bruce Wayne just literally being that unhinged and that kind of, that much of a wild card, you know, but that's why I loved it. The Nolan really focuses on the emotional damage that Bruce had and that he just wears that the same way he did when he was eight. They never let nobody else has let bruce grow up and i actually kind of think the new pattinson batman is going to do the same thing um though this one looks a little more the new one looks like they're going to go a little more unhinged because all of the shooting we've seen is like grayscale and red and this riddler looks very disturbed but i agree with you that they well, I think something that they do with this movie that no other movie has done and this even kind of includes Batman Returns, 
we don't see Bruce's face plastered all over the newspaper, even though there are times they talk about Bruce Wayne on the newspaper. Because something I love, and it's a Tim Burton thing, um, it's also like an edgy film thing of this time of like uh, doing cut jump shots and then starting your next story beat with a newspaper. Right. Like whether it's in his, the fact that this Bruce Wayne has a fucked up um, scrapbook about his parents' death. <laughs> don't fuck with this man because he will kill you. Like this, and well, and we'll get to that too. Of this Batman is a Batman that tries not to kill people. He has very much a no kill policy, though that seems to go out, you know, I, it, it goes out the window the further we get in the movie. But, um, where in the other ones, we always see Bruce's face everywhere. And I kind of like to think that Bruce would be as secretive as Bruce as he would be as Batman. Like, yes, there would be pictures of him at Wayne Corp and those kinds of things or Wayne Industries. Um, but like he to me is supposed to be the complete opposite of Tony Stark, where Tony Stark would have his face everywhere. Because let's be honest, they are the same character. Just one is a more powerful suit in right different ways but like you know it's it's just that thing of i love that she is an award-winning journalist and does not know who he is that is a very intentional character choice on bruce's uh choice and i think it's really funny also because like then he can host an event because he would expect it he would be expected to host an event like that he is a philanthropist um he would be the go-to with that kind of thing and but most people still aren't looking for him they don't know where he is unless you're commissioner gordon or alfred nobody really there is any of the wiser that he's there um and so i thought that was a very strong character choice um to then just like oh i'm just gonna wander around with this really beautiful lady and then kind of have him also treat them like hooking up after their very cute date like adorable date um like kind of a high school boy would as well like it's one of those things that like you can tell that he spent so much of his life reclused that he's letting himself have these moments and like a vicky vale moment seems much better than like having a selena kyle moment right away right. um you know we also didn't have them being as romantic in the comics at this point so that wouldn't have made sense um it's very different from current batman comics but i i think i think that's such a wonderfully strong moment for keaton and we get to watch him work through the stress and anger and things that he's having to work through um i love 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 the actor that plays alfred he is one of the only consistent i think it's just him and commissioner gordon are the only ones that are in all four of the 90s batmans uh and it's because i think they're both great like really really great we don't see much much of commissioner gordon in this one um but uh i think that alfred he's so playful and i think he works with this bruce really well um the best alfred in my yeah, opinion michael yeah, yeah. and i love like you know i love michael goff in the old hammer horror films which is the yeah. reason tim burton casting because tim yeah. burton loved even the old hammer horror stuff and and uh perfect perfect casting of alfred he's my favorite you know, we're, we're really talking about a movie that it's my favorite Batman. It's my favorite mm -hmm. Bruce Wayne. It's my favorite Alfred. It's my favorite Batmobile. 
uh, it's my favorite Gotham city by far. Yeah. Oh, I love this Gotham. Now, uh, because like now as a designer, I love the like vaporwave aesthetic. So like the idea of like that works for me on a super contemporary Batman story or a super like uh, when we're talking about like all the Bat kids now. Um, but this story, I think this Gotham works so good. And I wish we had gotten a little more in Batman Returns, a little more struggle between this Gotham, which to me, the Oswald Copperpot of Danny DeVito fits still into this Gotham, but that's Selena Kyle and the Batwoman is a little more of that like sexy new Gotham. Mm. And I wish they had played with the two in the next film, but we're not here to talk about that film. Um, so we're talking casting. So I want to talk a little bit because this movie, it was 10 years in the making. And uh, what I love now is like, we know so much more about like a film development process, like what was happening, but like the men who were going to be Batman, like at one point we were going to get a Wes Craven, Bill Murray and Freddie Mur Murphy, Batman and Robin movie in like 83. I think that would have been the absolute worst thing possible. Like, I like Wes Craven. I like Bill Murray. I just was rewatching Ghostbusters this week. Eddie Murphy is Eddie Murphy. Uh, you know, Donkey in Shrek is great. His, you know, old stand up problematic, but great. Um, you know, but that's just not. I guess we have this movie to look at and going, oh God, all these other movies we could have gotten. Uh, but even like this idea that like David Niven could have been Alfred, I almost went, oh, that's nice. Cause he's one of my favorite actors, but passed away in 83, so it wasn't gonna happen. But like this big list, where is it? I've got the list of, um, oh, the Batman actors. Where is it, right? I, I wanna say in, in defense of a Bill Murray, Eddie Murray, <laughs> yeah, Batman go Robin movie. Let, me, let, me, let me throw this at you. There's an alternate reality out there somewhere where that movie got made huh. and there's people, there's people in that reality having a podcast interview right now and they're saying, wait a minute, imagine this. Imagine if there was a Batman movie directed by the guy who did Pee-wee's Big Adventure starring <laughs> Michael Keaton. I mean, you and I in that reality would be laughing at that, you know? Yeah, so we're, yeah, we're crazy. Well, yeah, because then Tim Burton would have gone nowhere after uh, Beetlejuice. So it would have, you know, that would have been it. But like some of these make sense to me. Like, at the time, Mel Gibson, Kevin Costner, sure, they make sense as Batman. I don't know if Bruce Wayne. And this is also like the same time we're getting like, we were supposed to get that early 90s Superman movie that like we didn't get kind of thankfully also, but like it's um, wild because those kind of make sense. But then Charlie Sheen as like, I I know he's not that old, but like, a 1989 Charlie Sheen as Bruce Wayne seems like we're getting a 23-year-old Bruce Wayne that like... Yeah, but I can like, see it because Charlie... I mean, I'm looking at it through the lens of how twisted Bruce was in 89. Uh, Charlie is exactly that twisted. So, I mean, I can, yeah. I can see that. I can, that's a, I can see that more than Costner, I think. Yeah, well, Kevin Costner is very clean cut at that point to... Um, oh, where is it? Did I lose it again? Um, oh, here it is. I made my screen smaller. Um and uh but then tom Selleck, which i was like that's an older bruce wayne that's a much older bruce wayne for me because like 
Tom Selleck would, would have been like 40 in the late 70s. So I, you know, I don't, uh, maybe not that old, maybe not that old because he's still been acting. I mean, he's still acting currently, but I would have all been very, very different. But even like Harrison Ford makes sense. I don't know how a Harrison Ford Batman would have been. I don't know. Or a Dennis Quaid to, mm. I don't know. I don't, I don't really know. But for me, the Joker, you know, everybody always goes, oh, I'd love to see such and such as the Joker. I mean, we've gotten, you know, a, a lot of times we talk, we, we critique our Batmans, but then praise our Jokers. Cause you know, we've got, we have Jack Nicholson setting a bar for the Joker, like setting a very high bar. Um, but then, you know, we have Mark Hamill who came in with a, you know, because of this movie, I think really uh, lended to the success and green lighting of batman the animated series which is what a lot of people know batman from that is a lot two or three generations of people's uh entrance into batman but um the the joker the other jokers which some of them make sense to me tim curry david bowie absolutely mm. either one of them um the tim curry would have been a very clean cut joker uh like a, a very posh joker uh which i think could also work. I think there's something very intelligent to the Joker. There's something very elevated about him, about how he can stay one or two steps ahead of the Batman. David Bowie also, he's a great actor. He's one of the few pop singers that is truly a great actor. Um, uh, Jonathan Lithgow, which hmm. after seeing Dexter, I absolutely go. Yeah, he could have nailed the Joker because I think he would have found he like Jack Nicholson finds the dead serious moments of of the Joker and finds those really great moments of hilarity. I think also because we get the beauty of watching him become the Joker, mm -hmm. um, which I think is a really nice thing that we don't have to watch Bruce Wayne become Batman. We watch him struggle being Batman, but I I almost like that this movie is uh, a Joker origin story more than a batman uh, but then we have uh ray liotta which is a very different joker to me now i love goodfellas i love i love give me a good mafia movie any day i love it but <laughs> i it would have been a very different joker i think uh, uh we would have uh, found the Italian suburb of uh, uh, Gotham with his Joker. Um, but if we look at the kind of mafia feel of this movie, his Joker, I don't know if it would have been out of, it would have felt, I think, very at home in this, yeah. in, in this uh, thing. And then James Woods, which sure it makes sense. I don't know if James Woods humor lends itself to being an a good joker i could see him being a joker i don't know if it would be a good joker because like he's a great hades and hercules but yeah. see some of these i mean you got to remember you know whose name was first in the credits of Batman. right you got to remember like you know jack nicholson's name is before keaton yep and it's a different type of movie if you don't have Jack's star power, because I think that brought plenty of people out who might not have otherwise seen a Batman movie because they don't care about comic books or Adam West. Absolutely. But you know what? If it's good enough for Jack Nicholson to do this, maybe mm -hmm. I'm going to go out to the theater and see it. Uh, I, I was going to see it no matter who played anybody. Yep. But, you know, Jack, you know, you can't you can't underestimate the strength that Jack brought to that movie. And, and you would not have gotten that with James Woods or no. Ray Liotta. 
<laughs> no, you would have. The only other one that they might have gotten it with only from star power would have been Bowie. Cause even Tim Curry was a cult star. Right. I mean, like, cause he, I mean, he was doing the worst witch at this point, you know, there were things that like he had, he had had a great career, but he was, you know, a musical theater star turned like cult movie star. And so, but it was like, really the only other person on that list that would have had that same star power is Bowie and Bowie's Joker would have been a very quiet, brooding, subdued Joker. Mm. And so I think, cause like Keaton again, he'd been in a few things and it really took a lot for the studio to agree to let him be Batman. So I think, I think this was one of those stars aligned that this cast is great because even Kim Basinger wasn't our original Vicky. Um, but she was, she was available. And so they were like, cool, just bring her in. It'll, it'll be fine. And I think it works beautifully in this film. He wasn't, he wasn't on your Joker list, but you know who I would love to have seen it as Joker during that time who willem dafoe oh yes oh oh whoa, whoa, whoa. actually so it's i'm glad you brought that up um he was on the like and this is like pre-internet list but we did a fan magazines and stuff that were going around and conventions were going around um there was the rumor <laughs> it's right here oh robin williams wanted the role he was right. lobbying he was lobbying for it really hard um again i would still like to seen something in his lifetime where he could have played the Joker, I would still like to see what his Joker would have been. Again, not with this film. It would not have worked for this film. Mm -hmm. um, Willem, where is it? Willem Dafoe. He hosted, um, uh, he hosted SNL the other night and it made me think about him again. And I'm like, you know, that's a that would have been a good Joker. Enough. Well, I mean, we get a really, really close performance of his Joker with his Green Goblin. Like it is, yeah. it's got those moments. Um, but it is, it was saying that he was rumored for quite some time to have been being looked at as the Joker, but he was actually being looked at for Bruce Wayne. Uh, right during this time uh that it was yeah it was um but their first choice had actually been uh uh a willem defoe who is reports re falsely reported as being considered for the joker actually was being considered for batman in early development but tim burton was insisting upon an unknown and the studio wanted pierce brosnan and brosnan pretty much spat at them and was like i will never do a comic book movie ever don't bother uh but then he became james do, bond i will never do the fourth highest grossing movie in history ever so and then the man does Mamma Mia. I don't want to hear shit. Like, as a musical theater person, it's cute. And all those people are having the time of your life. But it's so funny how people's, their opinion of themselves and their career, like, turns around later in life when they finally can be like, oh, I guess I can have fun at Meryl Streep's the same way. But, I mean, Meryl's, Meryl's career up to, you know, she, Sophie's Choice had really been just, like, she-devil and, like, ridiculous, right. ridiculous things. So, but, yeah, I, I would still love to see Willem Dafoe play the Joker. You know, it's one of those things we keep talking about, the multiverse that's going to happen for DC in Flashpoint. We could still see a Willem Dafoe Joker. I think to me, he is clearly a top choice today because he's one that he could have played it 30 years ago. He could still play it now. He right. could play it in 20 years. Right. But I agree with you. I would still love to see a Willem Dafoe 
uh, Joker. I think that would be great. Well, and originally, uh, Penguin was also supposed to be in this movie uh, ahead of his appearance in Batman Returns. And uh, it was a strange casting as well. Uh, where oh where is it where is it where is it? Just too much, isn't it? I, I think. Lost it. Did, well, that's what they. That's what they. Way too much in some of these. They said there were too many characters, and so it just made the sense to cut. Also, because I think Penguin was in ten minutes of the movie, uh, and uh, Burton really wanted to use Two Face later on because of the black and white aesthetic. He actually wanted to do like a Caucasian and African American Two Face, and conti- yeah, continue. He wanted to focus on the black and white dichotomy of really the only african-american person that we see in gotham who's not back like background person is harvey dent uh so he wanted to focus on that story later on um oh peter o'toole as the penguin Hmm. a older peter o'toole which to me older peter o'toole looks exactly like colin farrell does in the prosthetics for the new film and i went huh (laughs) okay maybe that's where some inspiration came from um but yeah it's uh again i think we got the right movie for the right time i think the stars aligned we got the movie that we were meant to get which i appreciate um uh and we even got tracy walter as bob the goon yeah who should have won you know more praise and awards than what he did i agree Oh, he's character in that movie. He's so good. And I think Nicholson pushed for him to have that role too. I think that was a, that was a understanding, which I love. Honestly, I think it's so good. I love when friends, actor friends are like, yo, you got to put my buddy in this movie, do it. It's somebody like Jack Nicholson. It's like, what are you going to say? What are you going to say? No. Uh, So you brought it up a little bit earlier when you mentioned music, I want to talk about I want to talk about the music because the scoring of this movie is awesome. It's, I mean, it also it's setting up, it's the second or third, uh, collaboration we see with now lifetime collaborator, Danny Elfman of the Oingo Boingo of Oingo Boingo. And, um, I, I, I think the scoring of this is great because it also doesn't feel like Danny's typical scores. You can tell it's Danny Elfman at times, but it doesn't have that little bounciness. It has a lot of really dark grit to it that adds to the darkness of those scenes. Uh, I, read what is- I read something just recently where Danny, Danny said that the, the music in the film is not how he had envisioned the score to actually sound. And I think he was talking more about, you know, a mastering or mixing of it you know being so quiet and i'm just like i really want to hear the music that danny had in his head like i want to hear the you know it's, it's not so much i want the director's cut of batman 89 i want the the composer's cut i want the elfman the cut yeah yeah the elfman cut yeah well and i would like the original so because originally because talking about music the score is great but also the odd choice in this i mean he was massively popular but the prince music like mm-hmm. Prince writing multiple original songs for this mm-hmm. movie specifically for the Joker, I think is hilarious. I think it's some world where we actually had a Batman musical 20 years ago, Prince played the Joker or the Riddler. Um, but yeah, well, originally Prince was supposed to write all the Joker music 
and Michael Jackson was supposed to write two love ballads and Elfman was to combine their style for the film score. Yeah, good luck with that. I don't know who wrote who came up with we, that's that's when the, that's when money people at a at a label yeah. at um at a movie company who have no creative bones in their bodies step in and go, What what if we did this? And everybody in the room goes, Okay, let's put a pin in that. We're gonna circle you know what? Great <laughs> idea. Put a pin in it, we'll circle back circle back we'll yeah. circle back absolutely that's a great idea. and everybody's like but then somebody went honestly prince is not a bad idea also just because like i don't understand how there aren't more gifts of jack nicholson just like getting down on the parade float to prince music is not used more often for like right. a celebration gift because it's really so great and i think even in that parade moment which is the most burtony i think we get in the film they still try to find such a root in realism of this gotham but i do love the music of this movie to juxtapose now i wore that cassette tape out nine years old the cassette tape had no chance it just got played over and over because when you had all the action figures i mean it's icing on the cake if you can play the soundtrack and play the score while you're playing with your toys i mean that's like sensory overload now it's not Absolutely. just playing with action figures now you're recreating the movie and i used to do that that cassette the cassette tape never stood a chance it, it wore out probably within six months well and if you think about it we're coming off of the hill the heels of like jim and the holograms which sold like 10 million copies of the theme song because every doll came with a cassette so like why not sell music that well one music from a movie that's going to play on the radio music that's going to play like everywhere you are because everybody loves prince everybody loves prince yeah. so like if your kids are listening to it then the mom and dads aren't mad that that's the music that's playing like you know it's one of those things that it's they also pick somebody that was going to appeal to multiple demographics as well right. um because again, they're giving something for every kind of age group, every group of people to encourage them to come see this movie. And it obviously worked. It was almost engineered, wasn't it? When you kind of break all that apart, it was almost engineered. Somebody, I guess they're called marketers. I guess they they do know what they're doing, but there was a, a you know, kudos to Warner Brothers because there was some engineering going on and it, and it worked it's this is one of the first times that we can really kind of see them building that blockbuster the idea of like what they would perfect by jurassic park in 1994 uh and even disney i see disney did it with lion king also in 1994 because if anybody else remembers that lion king trailer and the circle of life it was like i don't even know what this movie's about it's lions but i'm gonna go see it but it was one of those things where we were working up towards the summer blockbuster um which now is nothing for us we have one of them every other month yeah, and i'm they're, still they're in our living there, rooms. <laughs> and i'm sitting there opening day well yeah it's i work at universal and the new j-lo movie with owen wilson's coming out even though i think she's made this movie like five times before and they were like oh it's coming out in theaters on valentine's day and on peacock and it's like oh great i can watch a brand new movie the day it comes out from home now like it's such a wild thing but it's also 
you know, how many kids are, you know, oh, or in it's out, it's out of my realm of interest, but like Encanto, like because Disney released it almost right away on streaming, wearing it out, beating Frozen. It's one of those things that like they have perfected that but as like through all of the things i've kind of looked at on the show this is the kind of one of those starting points where we really start seeing them build that idea of the blockbuster build an extended universe because they were going into this thinking about well we want to do another batman movie and the right. studio was already like cool let's do another batman movie i mean we had all you know this was when crusade i think uh uh crusaders came out for indiana jones at this point and so we had had other film properties where people loved multiple films and so it's like why can't we do this with the superhero um i mean wasn't this when star trek generation was kind of come out like two or three years after this because generations did... yeah generations was uh the movie yeah yeah that was like 94 i think yeah because next gen started in 89 right or was uh, 87, 87, 87, 88, yep. one of those. Yep. So like we were still seeing continuations in Star Trek and well, I mean, we had the Star Trek movies all the way up through the eighties as well. Um, and so, you know, people were on board with this idea of we're living in a universe for a little bit longer, but every movie might be somewhere different. Um, this movie actually made me want to revisit Birdman uh, because Michael Keaton's playing this very similar role um which Don't again it. it's on my list I've not oh i won't i won't so i won't it's if he's, if he's actually a bird at the end of it or something don't spoil it but i've not seen it and i want to see it i won't but he gives such an amazing performance in that much like he does in this i think he is someone that uh is still often overlooked like everybody talks about michael keaton and but like he's still completely underrated in a lot of what he does he's been really funny you know, he was he's a obviously he's a comedian i mean that's yes we're talking about him as batman but mike keaton is a is a comedian and watch yeah. his clips on letterman you know the chemistry between him and letterman, yeah. it's hilarious just watch them all on youtube i love his uh i love his stand-up stuff and he's just a really funny guy well and something he gets that like i was always when uh i was starting off as an actor and i'm a character actor and so mostly funny things and something that he gets and he personifies is your character doesn't know they're funny for your character they're still in a life or death situation they're still living their life every day and michael keaton is that kind of actor where he understands that like sure the guy he's playing might be funny but he is not the funny guy in the thing he is still making choices every day living life and that's i really love when michael keaton kind of approaches mm -hmm. his his thing that way mm -hmm. um I want to go back to design just a little bit because I think the evolution of design of this movie is just, I, I mean, again, I could talk about it all day. I love talking that they built that cathedral model and even like blowing up, blowing up the plant to like stop the Joker and all these things. But like the purple, uh, the purple fumes and the prosthetics on everyone's faces when they like, it checks all of the boxes of such a finely designed film and again that's that's on first and he just does brilliant work yeah i just it's amazing and it all it all just ties in together so well i think the the script there's a line in the script that really stuck with me 
you know, God, it describes Gotham as it's like hell burst through the sidewalks and just kept going. Yep. And I'm like, that's perfect. I don't even know who wrote that, you know, whoever, maybe Warren, uh, Warren Ham or somebody wrote that, but it's brilliant. You know, what a brilliant line. And, and I think they just took a line like that and, 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 you know, next thing you know, we have this beautifully designed city and movie. Which honestly works so beautifully because that first scene that we get of of the family and the opening scene, which you think is going to be the Waynes, but it isn't the Waynes, which I also really love that moment. Um, I love that we don't kind of know where in time we are because you've got that family that looks they look 1940s 1950s but then you have the women on the sidewalk in literal like 1980s um very halston very like of the time um and you had well also they did a really nice job of paralleling 1980s new york as well like what Times Square of 1989 or what Herald Square of 1989 was like. So you have these really rich, posh people mixing with like what anyone would consider like the scum of the earth, um, which, you know, Disney kind of cleaned up uh, with their kind of revitalization of Broadway in 1994. But like it sets the tone for the film in such a way where you could have zero dialogue in that opening scene, which we really get no dialogue that matters other than the family talking and the, Hey, that's my cab. That's my cab. Um, and again, it's this other time. Cause it's so interesting that Gotham has evolved beyond us in so many ways, but is so still behind us in so many ways, which is something, uh, well, especially now that we're getting Metropolis and Gotham in so many different franchises that like Metropolis is shining bright beacon of the future where Gotham's like, we still in the past just a little bit. We're back here. We're coming up. Um, you know, I, I, love the decision. I love the decision they made to not put a date on the movie. You know, it's, yes. it's intentionally, it's intentionally anti-chronistic and there's only one thing that really kind of gives it away, which I think was a, not a mistake by production, but they just didn't count on fans like us watching it in 4K resolution uh -huh. 30 years later. But, and what I'm talking about is the mugshot of Jack Napier. It actually, you know, remember when Eckhart uh -huh. is handing out these mugshots? So you can freeze frame it, which is what nerdy fans like me do. And the wanted poster actually has Jack Napier's uh, year of birth is like 1964. So that's oh, yeah. the only thing that really dates it. Cause you can, well, how old is Jack and yada, yada. But otherwise, like they took all the fashion, especially the men's fashion, you know, all right out of the forties uh, from what I read somewhere, uh, all the suits that Carl Grissom, who you know, was Jack Palance, they found a warehouse of these suits from the forties and actually just used those as costumes. Mm -hmm. They weren't eaten up by the moths. And then everything else, you know, the music and all that is, it was modern and the Times Square yeah. stuff, like you mentioned, was modern. So it was just such an antichronistic blend and I loved it. Well, and having Bruce Wayne be the only man that we're seeing in a modern context fashion wise was making a statement as well. Uh, also because the use of rubbers and leather as Batman, while everybody else is still in like cottons and rayons and wools because like those aren't even man-made fibers in most of these suits they are wool suits and they are colors that again i also think that's an important choice because when we get jack napier as the joker he's in that bright purple that is clearly a rayon a polyester uh the the blue well in that teal but it's also combining like he's such a dandy which is so interesting that like 
he goes from being so clean and masculine to so foppish. But again, that leads into this idea of like the laughter. The Joker is a different character. Like he is a different version of Jack Napier. Um, there is that focus on makeup and everything for him, which I love that like him putting on makeup is him on his normal skin tone. Like right. it's just a lot of those great things about the Joker that like, the other films have thrown out for us because we're like, oh, he's this person that puts on that. Um, but even I haven't bought up Jerry Hall has the best role in this movie. She says like four lines. She's she's our Harley Quinn before we had Harley Quinn. Um, she's so just and she's uh, for anyone who doesn't know, she was um socialite's daughter through the studio 54 era of the 70s she was a warhol um just a muse people loved her she just got in trouble she loved cocaine loved to party you know it was one of those things but like she's perfect for that role um and when we get the scene of her with the mask off after he's modified her and it's heartbreaking she is absolutely heartbreaking and so i like his even like billy d billy d is not a good actor but like he's a great harvey dent it's a shame that literally took to lego batman for us to get him back as harvey dent i don't know if i'd want to see him as two-face but like oh, great I harvey I, dent I, I i love billy d i think he's an awesome actor i would love to see him as two-face like that would be that would just close the loop for well, me well I, th I think now that he's older he just kind of camps it up a little and like you have to be so campy now i don't we would have gotten something that was like Tommy Lee Jones level Harvey Dent two face, but I think it would have been something that would have fit in this world. But I know Billy G would Billy D was gutted by the fact that he was not invited back for that. But it was also Joel Schumacher who had a very different vision for uh, those films, uh, obviously. But um, yeah, it's and I've just not seen it since I, I stood in line to see that movie in nineteen ninety five or whenever it was. You tell me, and I've not seen it <laughs> i did i did batman and robin with case a little while ago for a certain uh another pass just because he was like i want to do a batman movie i was like oh god we're doing the gay ones okay i'm i'm here uh the bat nipples i'm here for the bat nipples um i'm here for it let's do it um but well and that was the one that we did we did the one with uh, uh riddler and two-face but I think this movie really, I, this movie shouldn't, I, I shouldn't have to be begging with people to go back and see this movie. I think it's a shining example. And I think it is why this movie is why we have an extended universe for DC. It is why they've continued to make Batman movies. It's why we have the animated series. It's why they're trying to make the Arrowverse work on CW. Like this movie, I can pinpoint to that moment. And I think it's a stellar, stellar reason it, to have kept it going. Be it might be why there's still a DC comics too, because let's be honest, like Superman movies were not doing so great by the end of the eighties. Let's be honest. No. I still love them because they were my childhood, but you know, it's not like they were doing fantastic. And I don't know if we, if we had gotten Batman, I don't know what the future of, you know, I don't, we just don't know. Maybe it's it true. The history of comic books, you know, it's, know. it's true. And a lot of those late nineties X-Men movies, I think we can say the same thing for Marvel. Like it was just one of those things that like we comic books have almost died out. And like, as much as Disney or people might hate Marvel studios and Disney, 
Marvel was going to go under like 15 years ago if they didn't make that purchase. Like, that's just something that has to happen every once in a while. And like, this is so good. Like, and it's, it's one of those things that like, I, there are very few of the new films that have like risen to this out of the DC movies. And I think it's really, really, it's just because one, it shows what true fans can do like a true fan of something who loves something so much and everybody on this project loved what they were doing and i think you can see this love letter to this character um no i have to ask you how do you feel about the bright yellow on the bat symbol on the suit love it it's just because it's just because i can't i mean if you show me another option to put it side yeah. by side maybe i would say something different but I mean, I love it because it just pops. It's comic booky enough because it's, as you've mentioned, there's not a whole hell of a lot of primary colors going on in Batman. So it's almost brings it back to comic book colors in my mind, just enough, the symbol and also the belt, which was just, you know, blaring mm -hmm. yellow. Um, I like it. I like it. I can't picture it any other way. I don't want to see like a gun metal bat no. symbol or something like that. I like it. No, I think, I definitely think it works for this. Again, there's not a lot of color, but also when you look at, this man has made the suit himself. He commissioned the suit himself. And looking at kind of how he is as a dresser as Bruce Wayne, again, it's a design choice that makes sense that he would have made this choice. It's like when we think about Peter Parker and Spider-Man, of course the kid's gonna put on sparkly blue and sparkly red because at the end of the day, he's still 16 years old and like making a sparkly costume for himself. This is a brooding billionaire who has too much money to make a military grade suit for himself. Um, I. People can talk shit about this cape. They do online. It's the one thing people talk shit about. I love it. I brought it up several times. I think it is a dramatic flair that it adds great. It fills the scenes. It moves the smoke beautifully in so many of these scenes. Now, again, would it get hung up on everything when he's running? Absolutely, it would. Do yeah. we see him get trashed because of that cape several times? Yes. I also love that this Batman is not great at hand-to-hand. -hand. Like when he is face-to-face -face with somebody, he gets the shit beat out of him. And I kind of love it. Like it's one of those things that it's like, you're watching Bruce still like you can surveil and you can be willing to jump 60 feet off of a building, but like, you know, you, this big guy's still going to trash the shit. Now, if there was one other character in this, that like we could have seen someone like a gorilla grod or a Solomon Grundy would have fit really cool with this Batman, I think, because he's not great hand to hand. And it would have been really interesting to have like, a seven and a half foot tall dude that they just called Grodd that like is there with Jack Nicholson's character would have fit in this. But again, we didn't need that many characters, but again, I just also like watching this Batman get the shit beat out of him. <laughs> it's because he can't turn his head. That's why yeah, he can't. Yeah. Poor boy can't turn his head. And that, you know, you know, that black makeup was in his eyes, but you know, he was just trying to be a good bean and save, save Gotham. Um, now I think we're, I can ask you, but I, I think I know your answer. Is there anything as like a filmmaker, now that you would go back and tweak or just as a fan that you would go back and tweak now Ooh, um yeah there is what, what do you think my answer was you said you i was gonna say probably not anything major but i love to hear anytime that somebody's like you know i love this thing but there's still something that i would maybe tweak or change so you know what's what what, I, what, yeah, what would you, know you what do I really, 
what I really don't like is the first appearance of Batman in the film, right? So he has this incredibly awesome dramatic entrance, like all the setup is perfect. And then they just turn around and shoot him and he just hits the deck. Yep. And I know why they did that. But at the same time, it's like, that also just kind of took the train off the tracks for a second. Yep. And I don't know that the payoff to suddenly have him come back and now he's there, even though he just got shot. I don't think that payoff was worth having him just get shot like a chump and fall immediately. And I'm like, I think I would have just had him drop in, take care of business and drop the guy off the roof or not. And uh, just go with, I don't know that I needed to see Batman literally get dropped within five seconds of, of opening up the film, but I would, I agree with you. I think it actually, instead of saving the moment where we just see him like propelling all of these bullets and like a sword in you know to an hour and a half into the film do that in the opening scene because then when you next see these two guys raving mad because of this big bat it makes way more sense that they've literally just seen something so insane that it would kind of break them right. um because then i would have also loved to see them kind of come back as bumbling um stooges for the joker where everybody as along the way like bruce wayne attributes to more than just jack napier's break in becoming of the joker like right. he's literally such an anomaly that he is literally breaking the psyche of every villain that he comes into contact right. with and i get that's his point i also maybe again maybe it's also because it's the 80s but I kind of would love, and also because people get a little shocked, but one of my favorite Batman comics is All-Star Batman and Robin, which is very problematic. It's heavily flawed. I will acknowledge both. But that man is an, an unapologetic piece of shit. I kind of would like if our Bruce Wayne is trying so hard to be good that his Batman gets to a point where he does throw a guy off a roof and then he is remorseful about it and then ends up doing it again because like batman has blood on his hands in every incarnation that we've ever seen he tries to be the he tries to be the one but also he's the justice league member with a silo of every weakness of every other justice league member he is ready to literally stab superman in the heart with a piece of kryptonite at any moment like so i you know this keaton's batman seems like the one that would make the most sense to do that so lean into it a little i I've, think i have i have personally seen keaton's batman a install browning machine guns in the tie in the tire wells of the batmobile like you don't do that for you don't do that for aesthetic reasons uh-uh. uh Two, I've seen him blow up Axis Chemicals with every henchman in it he could find. And then skipping forward a movie, I've seen him pull the pants off a man to drop a time bomb into his crotch and then smile about it as he blows into pieces. So I think we kind of know where Keaton's Batman lands on the uh, – on the the twisted and is he a stone cold killer scale i'm gonna vote yeah on that one but yeah and that's that's why his softness with vicky vale i think is a really nice 
juxtaposition for for who his batman is because batman is a little unhinged there is something really because at the end of the day there's something there's batman has more in common with the joker than he does with the rest of the justice league and that is the thing is batman and bruce wayne are steps away from being his own rogues gallery and that is something that i've always loved about batman and it's something that dc gets and it's why like the suicide squad works because you've got these kids and like margot robbie gets it i will die on the fact that i think she gets this about harley um and dc did this with harley and her comics that like harley isn't evil she's she's just so fucked at this point that like but like when she realizes that black canary is pregnant she refuses to fight her there is nothing you know and when it's about like saving a little girl she will always stop and save kids like especially when it's her and ivy together versus her and the joker um you know uh, it's it's something that dc is willing to do that like marvel does with Wolverine, but like Wolverine's never been evil. Logan is always on that side of good. Um, and they'll only play with it and kind of those things about like, what if, but I do like that, like DC does it also. Cause like when you have things like Watchmen where they play with that idea that actually the best characters are these ones that set that middle line, because sometimes what is right isn't good. And you have to be willing to do what's right, but not necessarily what's going to be for the common good. Um, And again, Keaton's Batman gets that. He is there. That's the only reason why Keaton's Batman is the Batman that I want to see get like a Nightwing, get a Robin. Because I almost would love to see him do one movie with uh, Robin and then jump five or six years and give us the Nightwing movie. Because now that he has a little piece of shit teenager who is being an asshole and you know because dick grayson is an asshole damien wayne is an asshole all the bad kids are assholes even cassandra kane is an asshole um barbara gordon at times total asshole but you know it's that thing of like that idea that bruce is gonna raise an orphan just because his parents died in a similar way it's like you're gonna fuck this kid up so hard which again <laughs> uh dick grayson jason todd you know do i keep going because every bat kid is just fucked <laughs> you know but it's one of those things that i I am so excited. I mean, we haven't talked about this, but the fact that we have Keaton's Batman showing up in two new properties, I'm so excited for what his old man Bruce is going to be. Like, <laughs> that's what's going to bring people like me back yeah. into that because I've never really watched any of the modern stuff. Like, it's just not really my thing. And yeah. at some point, I kind of, I kind of hit some fatigue with the Marvel movies because it just seems like there was you know, there was so much, I don't want to say mediocre material out there, but it was, we were just flooded with too much of it and it made everything feel less special, less important. And I mean, I took a long break from all the modern superhero stuff. So it just, it just really put me off for a while. And now I hear Keaton's coming back. Well, guess what? That's going to pull people like me back in. Cause I'm like, you know what? I won't, I won't turn the channel for a lot of things, but I will turn the channel to see Michael Keaton wear a Batman suit any day of the week and I will oh, pay yeah. money for it. So. Well, and it's even, I know at one point they talked about having Thomas Wayne in something. And I was like, well, why don't you literally just have Michael Keaton come in and play Thomas Wayne, like have him pay that Batman too, because he could play, you know, it's one of those things that like, cause that's a 
fucked Batman. <laughs> but I mean, that's a very, you know, that's a very different flashpoint kind of thing. So I, we've any other thoughts before because i want to talk about what you do now as a filmmaker that is kind of the point of the show where we talk about how the love of a nostalgic property is actually informing what you do so why don't you tell us about your you've done some star trek projects uh starship farragut uh which is fantastic if you are a star trek fan like myself you guys have to go watch what is out there and i'm so i saw the teaser i'm so excited for what's coming but you're working on a batman fam film that is based in conjunction with this one yeah i am i'm super excited about it i never a uh, quick backstory i never had any interest in doing fan films at all and i've suddenly found myself shooting two of them in the last six months so it's <laughs> it's so funny how it flips but uh yeah i'm just i was never into fan films uh i've got my own original stories to tell and i don't have enough time to tell them so the idea of telling somebody else's ip is just it wasn't on my radar and all that changed one day when my buddy guillermo mejia shows up at my house for a photo shoot in his brand new batman costume that he had just bought and i saw a picture of it online and i'm a, a photographer from way back and and i said you know what i love batman i love that era his suit is actually from batman returns it's a 92 suit so it's still a keaton suit but uh -huh. you know the the, uh, the the deep batman nerds will know the difference between those two suits so he shows up for a photo shoot in this batman returns suit we go out i kill all the lights i you know edge light him dramatically i put some smoke back there because because you, you got to have smoke and I start snapping off some still photos and I see exactly what's happening. And I'm just like, oh my goodness, this is just like Jaws. It's more powerful and it's more terrifying the less you see of him mm -hmm. because the silhouette is iconic. Like that Batman yeah. silhouette, mm -hmm. iconic. So I'm, I'm seeing some really heavy edge lighting, put a nice overhead light, uh, which on a normal person, not in a costume, would give him raccoon eyes. On Batman, it just makes the eyes disappear. So you're left with this silhouette, this awesome jawline. The costume speaks for itself. And all this played out over the course of a two-hour photo shoot. And, you know, I'd already made a couple films by the time we did that. And in the back of my mind, I'm like, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to get my cart before my uh, horse here, but I want to see these pictures in motion. I want to see how this, how this works. So we looked at the raw pictures um you know my buddy Guillermo had the exact same reaction I did he's like oh we're on to something here and I said yeah let me let me go think about something and, and I'll let you know so what I did over the next few months after that was I ended up writing a specific uh Batman story set in the Keaton era and it's a short film you know we're not doing a feature thankfully because I would be I would get I would get fired from my job and also be bankrupt if, if I wanted to <laughs> uh, so it's a short and basically I went off and wrote this and as it kind of progressed, you know, the idea actually became, you know what, this is a, an alternate look at a Gotham city. We know just from a slightly different vantage point. Mm -hmm. So Batman 89, the movie was about Batman and it was about the Joker. My short film is set in that world, but it's more about what happens in the dark alleys and the dark streets of that world that aren't in the spotlight. You know, what, what's going mm -hmm. on with these kind of street characters that live in this bizarre world. And I took a lot of influence from um, a great comic book called Gotham Central. If you're familiar with that, Ed Brubaker and those guys, uh, I read that and it just, it amazed me to read a story about Batman from another character's point of view. And in that case, it was the police force, the Gotham city police mm -hmm. and these officers that have these, these different views on Batman. And, and, you know, it's a phenomenal story. 
And what I did was I thought, you know, I think I want the main character in our short film to be a Gotham cop. And I want to, you know, pull no punches. I want to go back and recreate the Gotham police costumes from 1989, which was a royal pain in the ass. Uh, but we went back. I don't oh, know if you yeah. saw any of the, the screen stills or screen caps of, of our film. But we went back, we found these awesome three-quarter length uh, leather coats. You know, it's very, very German design, very German submariner, uh, German naval uh, leather pea coat type design. Uh, it was what was used in Batman 89 with the eight-pointed officer hats and our Sam Brown leather straps. Everything's leather mm. on the Gotham cops from, from 89. And I knew right away, I'm like, okay, this is going to be the story told from the point of view of a Gotham police officer who lives in this world at the very beginning. So if you remember in Batman 89, uh, I should say our story takes place one week before Batman 89. Okay. So it's almost, it's almost mm -hmm. a prequel. And if you'll remember in 89, Alexander Knox, who's the reporter said, you know, commissioner, is it true? There's been eight sightings of, uh, of Batman in the last two months, or, you know, the line is like that. He mm -hmm. says it to Gordon or to Eckhart, one or the other. And that kind of got me my head spinning. I'm like, what were these other seven sightings? Mm -hmm. You know, what happened? And, and the question that was burning on my mind is, how did Johnny Gobbs fall off that roof? You know, did he, did he get ripped and walk off a roof or did something else happen? So all these things as a storyteller who also happens to love Batman 89, uh, all these things kind of meshed in my mind. And I'm like, you know what? I want to kind of go there and just see where it, where it takes us. And uh, the movie was written. Uh, we were pre-production for about nine months. So, and this is, again, it's for a short film. I'm absolutely insane. Uh, nine month pre-production for a 15 minute short. That's going to end up on YouTube for free because I don't want to go to jail uh, because of uh, Warner Brothers. But I mean, but like, I mean, from a design aspect, like you had a very specific vision and you were recreating some things that were very specific without copying another designer's work. Those things just take a thousand years to source. Like just... Like, I, I don't think most people realize when they comment on what a costume looks like that it's like there are 45 meetings and, you know, 150 screaming phone calls and 37 uh, sources that did not work out to where you can buy something from. So, like, you know, nine months of pre for me, I was like, yeah, nine months of pre pro. That sounds yeah. just right. That's how that sounds yeah. for, for, a, for a film. Yeah, that sounds great. That sounds about right. <laughs> I can tell you those, those Gotham police uniforms, they ended up coming in at about a thousand dollars each, yep. you know, cost wise. Um, in comparison, the bat suit was created by a company in Colombia called the cave creature workshop. Mm -hmm. And it's an mm -hmm. awesome suit. And um, the bat suit ended up being far less expensive <laughs> and less complicated than these yeah. Gotham police costumes. Of course, of course, you know, custom patches, Gotham PD patches, custom badges, custom badge numbers, uh, ended up having to sign, you know, waivers that the badges were going to be destroyed uh -huh, after production uh -huh, because they were uh -huh. they're real police badges. And we had to sign off on those, and uh, you know, just all the little things that went into that. And that's all just the pre-production piece. And we filmed it. Uh, it wasn't even filmed locally. We filmed it about three hours south, you know, three hours away from where I live, down in uh, Central Virginia, south of Richmond. And we uh, walked in there and we shot the bulk of the movie in three nights. And of course, it's Batman. It's a hundred percent night exteriors. Uh -huh. Everything was shot outside in the alleys. Obviously I went through the permit process and worked with the city and got my insurance and got, you know, all the things I need yeah, to do. Absolutely. Movie, you have to do my guerrilla filmmaking days are behind me. I think when you're, yeah. when you're, when you're dealing with that many people and you're dealing with that many logistics, like you can't screw around with permits because the worst thing that can happen is you get 
in our case, we had 15 people or so down there. You're paying for hotels for everybody. You're feeding everybody. You're doing mm -hmm. all these things. Like you'd better damn well have your permit because if you don't yeah. and they shut you down, poof, you're, the you're money's done. gone. Yeah, the you're done. Yeah, like, you can't repeat that. Yeah. So I didn't really screw around. You know, I went down and 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 got all my permits squared away. And we shot this thing in November. We shot the bulk of it over three nights. Uh, got pretty cold. I think the last couple nights dipped below freezing, and we were all outside. Uh, we had a deluge downpour our first night but yeah the whole thing oh, was no. exterior but but the beauty is uh we shot it in 6k which is overkill for a youtube release but i wanted to shoot it in 6k anyway and uh the the raw footage right now it's it's being edited uh behind me and the raw footage i'm absolutely in love with the score i'm in love with something you'll appreciate the opening shot of batman 89 was a matte mm -hmm. painting of the Gotham city skyline, mm -hmm. uh, you know, back in the day. And it was painted by a scenic artist named Brian Bishop. And one of the first things that I started thinking of is, you know, I'm not trying to directly copy Batman 89, but I want as many callbacks as I mm -hmm. can. And a buddy of mine, Joe Gransky happens to be an oil painter and a very successful oil painter. And I hit up Joe one day. I said, let me throw something crazy at you. I said, could you give me a scenic painting of the Gotham city skyline from Batman 89, I don't want a copy of the exact painting. Don't recreate that. But as a parallel to our movie itself, I want the same skyline from a different view. Go a half mile down river, and what does the skyline look yeah. like from yeah. there? Right? So I'm super happy we did a camera test on a test piece last Thursday night, uh, four days ago, something like that. The painting itself looks awesome on film. We now have enough information. He's going to go back. We, we swapped some colors and stuff like that, but he's going to go back and actually paint the final piece, which is going to be 36 by 48. Ooh. We're going to pop it on film. I'm shooting miniatures in front of it, a miniature bridge, some miniature smoke, a little bit of, uh, you know, effects. I mean, it, it's the old school way of doing things, you know, yep. and it's, I would rather do it practically in camera the mm -hmm. way they did it back then than click ones and zeros with my keyboard all day. Yep. And I, I'm really enjoying the kind of the process of doing this, even though it's just an old school uh, way, but I look at it as kind of a, an homage to the old ways of filming, right? So. I love that. Well, and I'm hoping everybody that's listening is excited as I am because that I am so Jones to see this. I'm so excited. So tell me online where, where people can find you, but also where they could support this fan project. And also I know you guys are still uh, fundraising for Farragut as well, aren't you? Yep. Uh, so where, where can everybody find you, your work, and where can they find uh, the links to support your projects as well? Absolutely. Yeah. So the name of the fan film for Batman, by the way, is called The Oath. The Oath, a Batman fan film. Uh, we are just now closing down the Indiegogo for that. So thanks to all our backers, we raised almost eight grand uh, to help make that movie. And that was just to help offset all those hotel costs, the permits, you know, all that type of stuff. And it helped us, you know, bring that back. So uh, if Warner Brothers is listening tonight, I want to make sure they know no profit was made from the end. Uh, that all just went into helping us uh, offset all our costs that went into this. Uh, so we're just now closing down that. Uh, the best place to find us is our production studio page on all social media, which is Chaotica Studios. And it's Chaotica with a K, K-A-O-T-I-C-A. And that's all social media, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook. Um, that's the best place to get us. You can also check chaoticastudios.com. And there, and also on our YouTube page, you'll find our first film, which is The Killer of Grassy Ridge. Uh, which is also still on Amazon, the best I can tell. Sometimes Amazon puts it in different countries and it's mm -hmm. unavailable. Uh, but the Killer Grassy Ridge is still up on Amazon. And yeah, you can find us all through the Chaotica Studios social media. 
Well, Johnny, thank you so much for coming and talking this movie. It was an awesome time. Enjoyed it. I appreciate you having me. I love Batman 89 and I will, I will talk about Batman 89 for days. Go watch it. Everybody go watch it right now. Like it is, it's on Hulu. Go watch it. Hey. Oh, hey, Jeff. What's going on, guys? Oh, you know, talking about Superman. Oh, cool. I could talk about Superman. I could talk some more about Superman. We know. I'll bet a few people would want to get in on this. I'm down. You know it. That sounds like fun. I'll do it. Cool. Let's do it. We can call the show Men of Steel. And you can find it at certainpov.com. Or wherever you get your podcasts. Yay. Thank you again, Johnny K, for being on the show and talking about Batman 89. God, I love this movie. Don't forget to go over to certainpov.com and check out all of our episodes based on the dark Fortnite event. In our link tree, you can find the link to our Patreon, where only $2 a month lets you know that you love what we're doing. We are literally in pre-production for so many new shows that you guys are just going to love. And don't forget this spring, we're doing our 25th anniversary episode celebrating Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Now join us next time for another deep dive into the files of Saturday Morning Confidential. CPOV CertainPOV.com